Hello, and welcome to The Real Writing Process. I'm your host, Tom Pepperdine, and this week, my guest is the British horror and dark fantasy writer, Tim Leban. I'm so happy to have Tim on as a guest. Firstly, because he's a lovely gent, lovely to talk to, and his books are a great read. But also, he has written so many of my favourite characters in an epic career of tie-in novels. He's written Hellboy. He's written Ripley in Alien Out of the Shadows. He's written Malcolm Reynolds in Firefly Generations. He's also written the Star Wars universe and done the film novelizations to 30 Days of Night and Kong Skull Island. And if that's not all, his original stories have also been turned into films. The Silence became a Netflix film starring Stanley Tucci and Pay the Ghost was a film with Nicolas frickin' Cage. It was an honour to pick his brain and learn about his writing process, but also, and arguably more importantly, what his favourite beverage is. Dear audience, may I present my interview with Mr. Timothy Leban. Hello, and I'm pleased to say that this week I am joined by Tim Leban. Tim, hello. Hi, Tom. Great hello. to be here. Thank you. Well, I'm glad that you are here too. And as always, my first question is, what are we drinking? Well, I'm halfway through a mug of really good Colombian coffee at the mm. moment. I was toying with the idea of a beer, but it's still late afternoon. <laughs> not yes. So coffee is the way to go. It's and not... it's Colombian. My son's on the way to Colombia in three weeks' time. Oh, wow. So we've been traveling, so I'm, yeah. Okay. Is coffee your regular writing drink? Yes. I'm a bit oh. of a coffee fiend. I know lots of writers are tea first thing in the morning, but then mm-hmm. on to coffee late morning. Probably only two or three cups a day, to be honest, but I've got a nice coffee machine. And if I go a day without coffee, I'm climbing the walls, which is probably <laughs> not a great thing health-wise, yeah. but you know. Uh, but it's a good working drink. I guess it keeps you focused with the caffeine. I guess so, yeah. I'm not conscious that it gives me a hit, but it obviously does. Like I say, I climb the walls. If I don't have one before mid-afternoon, I'm, I'm getting a bit antsy. And I'm also, okay. I can also have a coffee at 11 o'clock and then go to bed. I know some people who <laughs> won't drink a coffee past midday because they can't sleep it never affects me okay and where i'm talking to you now is this uh your writing spot is this your writing desk yeah i'm in my office at home excellent and how long have you had a dedicated writing space i'm very lucky actually we live in a three-bed semi in a nice little village in south wales but it's got an extra room downstairs like they I think when we bought the house, it was advertised as the dining room mm-hmm. and it was for a while. And then it became half an office for me and half a playroom for my daughter when she was born 23 years ago. But since I've been writing full time, which is a little over 15 years, it's been, it's my room. Yeah. As you can see, I've got books everywhere. I've got a record player, reading chair, posters. It's, it's a mighty five man cave, I think. Yeah, I sort of got two really. So we've <laughs> got a cabin in the garden where all my oh, bikes. Wow bikes and weights but my wife's been working there through lockdown so it's okay the cabin in the garden is now um partly office partly man cave and do you find that you can only write uh, or you write your best work in your office or can you just write anywhere so that that varies lockdown changed that quite a bit because i made a decision just before lockdown i decided i'm going to write a new novel on spec i'm going to write it longhand in notebooks which I've still got piled up and then lockdown happened. So I, I went with the idea of writing in notebooks and it meant that I was circulating all around the house throughout the day, because like I say, three bed semi, yeah. it's quite a sizable house before adults and the cabin in the garden really saved us through lockdown because <laughs> I spent a lot of my time sitting out there writing, usually straight onto a computer, but for that one novel, it was uh, handwritten. So I do a fair amount of writing away from home in cafes and things. Uh, and I can do that quite comfortably. I find distractions at home, noise at home is more distracting for me than distractions outside. So if I sit in a coffee shop and it's really noisy, I can write. Yeah. But if I sit at home, for instance, now I'm just looking at my dog in the back garden, he might start barking soon because it's dinner time <laughs> and that's a distraction. But if I'm in a yeah. coffee shop, I just stay at the table. I do find I can write virtually anywhere as long as I've got either a laptop or a notebook. Okay. And uh, what you're working on now, uh, so your last book was the first draft, I guess, in notebooks. Yeah. Is that something that you think you'll repeat or was it just the plot of that lent itself to being written longhand or was it just an experiment? Um, it was an experiment because I'm good friends with Rio Ewers, a uh, mm-hmm. uh, Canadian writer. He, he's a great guy, incredible writer, Rio, and he writes everything longhand. He writes 
I don't think he's ever written anything straight onto the computer. And he writes yeah. longhand in pubs and cafes and sometimes at home, but usually away from home. It was a few years ago when he was living in Vienna and I, so it's a long story, which I'll try and cut short. We went to a vampire convention in Transylvania, which oh, wow. does, does sound as incredible as it was. <laughs> Amazing. Um, me, Rio and Chris Golden were guests there. And one evening we did a reading in a cemetery in Transylvania. There was lightning, bats flying around the church belfry and we heard barking in the distance, which we were told afterwards was wolves. <laughs> wow. And you can't get any better than that. Yeah. And that, well, you, and because in the morning I had Transylvanian grave dirt in the treads of my boots. So <laughs> yeah. we were, so that, that's a Transylvania story. Yeah. Um, I stayed for, with Rio in Vienna for a few days after that. And we had a good chat about our writing processes. And I really fell in love with the idea of writing longhand. That's why I did this novel longhand. Back to your question, am I going to do it again? Not immediately. And the, the reason, two reasons, one reason when you've written a hundred thousand word novel in notebooks, then you have to type it up. It's a real <laughs> tough task. And uh, reason number two, my handwriting so terrible <laughs> that sometimes I just got the gist. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, I was typing up my own handwriting thing. What did I, what does that word say? Uh, I think if I did do it again, it would be, I do it how Rio does it, which is you'll write a thousand words and you'll transcribe it and okay. edit as he goes along. So. Even talking to you about it now, and I'm about to start a new novel very, very soon. Even talking to you about it now, I, I, I still might consider doing it longhand because yeah. of the, the sort of freedom it gives you. When I decided to write the novel longhand a couple of years ago, I had um, romantic notions of sitting on top of mountains with a book and a glass of coffee, and then frigging COVID happened, and, mm. and I wrote the whole thing at home. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's my roundabout, yeah. ambling way of saying I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I think it's it's fascinating <laughs> though to write like you know, like you say a hundred thousand words uh, in in long form. Did you yeah. find that your writing sessions differed greatly? Like the length of time that you could write was either longer or shorter. I guess you can move around a bit more than being chained to a, a computer or a laptop. But I guess yeah. there's a risk of hand cramp. So pros and cons. Did you write longer or shorter, or did you keep to a set time? Probably shorter time wise, but I think the writing was more intense and, and it, it changed the way I wrote quite significantly, I think, because when I'm, I'm not a great typist, I'm a three finger typist, okay. three fingers, thumb, space bar, yeah. three or four finger typist. I'm, I'm fairly quick at it, but I make mistakes. So when I, I find when I'm typing, I'll often go back and I'll be editing as I go along because oh. I see that I've made mistakes. So I go back and edit, but handwriting was just flow, you know, yeah. I, I cross the odd word out here and there. I didn't worry about editing as I went along, which showed when I transcribed, but then transcribing in itself was a, was the first edit really. Yeah. So I think the writing periods were shorter, partly like you say, hand cramps and partly for that reason, but also partly because it was during lockdown and there were four of us in the house. So I, yeah. I'd have an hour in one room and then I had to go to another room for another hour, maybe because my daughter was finishing a degree at home. My son was doing A-levels at home. My wife was working at home. Yeah. Sounds hellish. <laughs> but to be fair, to be honest, the first lockdown, we still quite enjoyed. We were just at home together and it was quite nice, but it did make working quite difficult. So the writing periods were shorter, but I was getting the same sort of word count down that I aim for when I'm working on a novel, which is probably, I, I aim for a couple of thousand words a day when I'm yeah. really in the saddle on a novel. And yes. I was just thinking with writing, I don't want any kind of like plot spoilers, but first or third person, sometimes if you're writing first person, it it could really feel like journal entries and with third person, I guess it's that more classical style of a yeah. uh, novel, omniscient narrator. Would you be comfortable saying whether it was first person yeah. or third person? Yeah. There's a bit of both in the novel, actually. I like writing, I like mixing it up in a novel. So in the novels, the novel I wrote, it's called The Last Storm. It's going to be published in July by Tiny Books. Mm. Um, and there's some first person, some third person. I do, I enjoy writing first person because it is, it does feel like you say, almost like a journal entry and yeah. almost as if you're in the head of the character. But also I find, I, I think for a, a full length novel, it can be a bit intense. And also you need to get away from that character sometimes to yeah. find out what other people are doing. It's a sort of a chase story. So a family chase story in some regards. And I've done that before in novels, first and third person, a lot yeah. of and it's difficult to do sometimes, but I think if you, somebody who I 
love as a writer, Mike Marshall Smith. I love him as a person as well. He did it in a novel quite a while back and I thought that was fucking great. I really, yeah. you know, really appreciated that and enjoyed it. I, I do try that occasionally. Cool. That, that's excellent. And a thing I, I also wanted to ask more general about your writing process before you, you dived into writing it longhand, do you have a, a specific outline? Do you map a lot of the plot and the events before that or are you much more of a by the seats of your pants you know where you're going but you want to just create an each yeah. writing session pantser or plotter yeah yeah um so i'm more of a pantser to be honest so sometimes i'll write a novel that's based on a proposal that i sold to a publisher yeah other times such as with eden and the last storm i wrote the novel's on spec so there wasn't like a um polished proposal that i'd written to send to a publisher mm-hmm. So what I usually do, I'll think about a novel a lot before I write it and make lots of notes and they're really scattershot. If I open my file of notes, it might be 10, 15, 20 pages long, but it's not in any particular order. And then I plan as I go along. So once I've thought about the novel and I've found my way into it, which always involves, for me, the first page of a novel as, as a reader and even more importantly as a writer is, is really important. I need to feel that my first page or two really sings, you know, it really yeah. needs to feel three-dimensional and the characters need to sing off the page. Once I found my way into a novel, I tend to play on it ahead a couple of chapters at a time. And when I was writing it longhand, I had a notebook, which was next couple of chapters, this happens, that happens. But when I'm right. writing on the computer, at the end of my day's writing, there's always a big wad of notes that I've planned for the future chapters. I'll usually have a rough idea of where it's going. I'll always have a rough idea of where the novel's going, where the story's going, but sometimes people die when I wasn't, might not have been expecting them to. Yeah. And it sounds glib, but I always say I speed up writing when I get to the end of a novel because I want to know what happens at the end. I usually have a rough idea, but I'm also keen to get there. So I, I certainly don't plot novels out in great detail, which often results in me writing myself into a corner, but I quite like that. Like writing yourself into a problem and you have to think your way out of it because that's what happens in life. You encounter problems, you have to work your way around them. Sorry, I, yeah, just one other quick thought. I also think if you plot a novel in great detail and actually plan scene by scene, like you might do if you're writing a screenplay, for instance, you told the story already. So it might not feel so fresh when you're actually writing yeah. it. No, absolutely. And I, I think that of uh, the pantsers I've spoken to, uh, that, that yeah. seems to be the school of thought. What I really was interested in asking, if it's not a overall plot that is the genesis of the idea of the story, what tends to form the initial elements of a story for you? Is it that you have a, a character that really interests you and what kind of world does this person live in? or is it a scenario and a, a kind of broad strokes society and does it vary but do you, do you find that you sell, you lean towards character or world scenarios when you first start developing an idea for a book probably much more scenarios and ideas and mm. concept sometimes if i like my novel the silence for instance i can remember which i wrote uh eight years ago six or seven years ago I can actually remember the moment where I thought monsters that hunt by sound, then I'll call it the silence. And that was the genesis of this, of that novel. It's rare that I'll come up, fairly rare that I'll come up with a character and then the novel comes from there. It's usually a, a situation or like I say, a concept. My last Eden, yeah. the, the last storm and the novel I'm about to start are all sort of climate or driven by climate change. Yeah. Cli-fi fiction. I, I don't really like the term, but <laughs> cli-fi horror. Yeah. So with, with Eden. I knew with Eden, it was the idea of a, a adventure racing team going somewhere dangerous and that evolved into the, the climate change idea Yeah, with the last storm that was always going to be there anyway. And, and now I think I need to write a third one. Yeah. So usually often a really small idea, hmm. but as with the silence, just high concept and that was it. Bang. Yeah. That doesn't happen very often. <laughs> yeah. And with Eden, as an example, adventure runners in yeah. a dangerous setting, how do you then go because it's quite a band of characters and they've all got yeah. you know, their own agency. How do you go about developing your characters? Do you like sort of do character maps or are they based on certain archetypes? It's sort of like, how, how do you go around developing your characters? Usually I've got an idea of what they're going to be like as I go into the novel, but mm. the development for me happens as I'm writing most okay. of the time, which often means that I have a, f- a fair amount of character editing to do when I go back. Mm. But it sort of feels like I'm a stranger meeting them for the first time. Yeah. 
So they've got their lives behind them in a background, but I don't know them. I don't know anything about them. So going into the bubble, I'm discovering them is the same way the reader is. I've done various things that you're told, oh, you should do a character interview. And I've done that 20 questions, ask each character 20 questions and write their answers so that in your head, they're rounded people before you Mm. go in and start writing. I don't do that all the time. I'm trying to think of how that worked with Eden. I think, yeah. It's like a sort of a fluid thing. I don't remember sitting down and, and writing lots of character notes, possibly for the, for Jen and Dylan, the main characters. Yeah. Um, but just develop as I go along, really. Again, I think if you write pages and pages of character stuff before you start the novel, you know everything about them. And part of the fun of writing a novel for me is the same fun as I get from reading a novel sometimes. Oh. It's finding out about the story and finding out about the characters and what happens. And yeah. I suppose building a novel as I go along in the same way that I'm discovering a novel as I read. Yeah. And I think a story comes in drafts. And I think, you yeah. know, sort of people who are new to writing or don't write, don't realize, you know, sort of how many iterations of the story are told before yeah. the one that gets published. Developing character that way, you tell the story and you know, the characters bring out. And uh, like you said that earlier, sometimes a character may die when you weren't expecting it. The impact that will have on the other characters and how their actions and motivations may change because of that is what you find exciting about the stories. Yeah. I know some writers who love to plan things out and might react in horror, but I think that's the the glorious thing of there is no right answer in how to write a story. And I always find it fascinating to hear the people who start and go, yeah, I, d- I have no idea what happens, but then that's why I'm writing it. Yeah, uh, that's it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't think any two people write write a novel in the same no. way. To be honest, yeah. it's not just pantser be plotter. It's yeah. everyone's yeah. got a different approach, and you know, I have different approaches to different novels as well. This novel I'm writing now is is about to start writing. I've written a full proposal for it for a publisher. Okay, so that's a different process to the the last two which I wrote on spec different in a way, but then I'll often, I do often say, I, if I write a proposal and sell a novel to a publisher, I never look at it again. I just go <laughs> write the novel. When you write proposals, is this for an existing IP, an existing universe? Well, no. it, it can be, but it, it can also be for, yeah. and this is for an original novel of my own. Okay. And with this proposal that you've written, so you know the ending already, or is it just more of a hook on the concept? I don't really know the ending. And, and like I say, if the publisher I've sent it to when, if, and when they buy it, I'm pretty hopeful it's going to happen. I might not look at the proposal again. I'll put right, in a okay. draw. I'll write the novel. I will, I'll pick out plot points from it, but then a lot will change okay. inevitably because it's six months work. And at the end of six months, I'd have written my way through the novel and met the characters yeah. and the end I had in the proposal might not suit. And when I deliver the novel, the publisher is not going to go back to the proposal and say, oh, this isn't exactly the same. If I wrote a historical naval romance instead of a climate change horror thriller, <laughs> they might have problems, but it's going to yeah. be the same, you know, okay. similar sort of story. That's cool. And you have written in existing IP with yeah. alien tie-in novels and the various sort of movie books that you've written. How is it yeah. writing when there's a pre-established mythos compared to your own original books? It's, that easier or much more challenging? It's, it's a different challenge. I think I wouldn't say it's easier or harder mm-hmm. and each property brings different challenges. So I've written Star Wars, Alien, Predator, Hellboy, 30 Days of Night, Firefly, and they're all the licensing regulations yeah. are all different. The relationships between publisher and licensor are different. They all necessitate a, like a detailed proposal before you start writing. Like Star Wars, uh, I had to write a detailed proposal and I was surprisingly for me, I thought it was going to be really stringent, but I was given free reign really, which okay. was quite nice. The alien book came from, so uh, the first alien novel I wrote was part of a trilogy with me, Chris Golden and Jim Walk, a two page proposal from Fox. Mm-hmm. So we were given the real rough outline Okay, and then we had to expand it. But then I wrote an alien and it's a trilogy, which was all my own sort of idea, far future. And then like I say, everyone's different and and novelizations of movies is you just give them the script and you say, turn this into a novel. So that's probably the easiest tie-in work to do, but you're often told, here's a script, we need it in a month. (laughs) And by the way, it's not the shooting script. So you have to do changes at the end. (laughs) Oh gosh. Okay. So there's often difficulties with that as well. Yeah. And because some of the Alien vs Predator, you've got your own characters. 
and yeah. so that's yeah it's a bit more freedom but when yeah. uh, your first alien the, the fox proposal you actually had ripley in it <laughs> yeah and did you feel any pressure to like really get the voice of ripley right or was that just more okay. in working with the editor at the end no i felt a lot of pressure but also i'm that was my dream job in the mm. ripley alien novel i've always yeah. wanted alien i'm a i love the alien films yeah. in you know uh, lesser degrees as as the sequels go <laughs> yeah. on yeah alien is my favorite film of all time and when we saw when we saw the proposal from fox one of the novels was a ripley novel and i said i want to do the first one and i yeah. was all agreed yeah that was great so there was pressure i think i got her voice okay and he, even someone who got even better doug mags ad adapted um the novel for audio drama and uh, the woman playing Ripley, can't remember her name for the life of me, but she was fantastic. And Dirk got her voice just perfectly. Yeah. So that was great. That was great fun to write. Yeah. Really, really great fun. Yeah, because I guess it's just when it's your own characters, the audience trust you and just put their own imprint on it. But when everyone can hear Sigourney Weaver's voice in their yeah. heads when reading it, yeah, I can imagine that's... Yeah, yeah, very yeah. talented, but thrilling at the same time. Moving more on to your daily process now, mm -hmm. with, you know, you're about to start a new book. Do you, you know, as a, as a full-time writer, do you have a set schedule for when you go, right, now I start writing, now I finish writing? Do you have a certain hours a day? Or like you said earlier, you try and get a few thousand words. So is it more... Yeah. Well, I've done everything else. I've, you know, I've cleaned the house. I better start writing now. Uh, yeah. You know, sort of. Uh, is it structured or is it a bit more loose? It's fairly structured, and, and that comes from even though I've been writing full time for fifteen years, I was in a nine to five job before that. Mm -hmm. So, and we've got two kids who are now grown up, and almost my daughter's away. She's in uni. My son's eighteen. He'll be gone to uni in September, and he's travelling soon. So. We've empty nesters almost, but my wife works at home still because of COVID. So I'm still sort of sit at my desk at nine o'clock, yeah. maybe 8.30 if I get up that early, do yeah. social media crap, and then nine o'clock start writing. And then usually if I'm actually, it's been a while since I've actually been writing a novel at, at my desk or wherever, but usually once I reach sort of 2000 words, whether that's by midday or three in the afternoon, I'm, I'm feeling, oh, I'm, I think I'm done for the day. Yeah creatively tired a little bit. So I tend to try and work from nine to five with maybe a lunchtime run or lunch with my wife. But then I'll often be working in the evenings. My manager is New York. My manager, film manager is in LA. So if there's any stuff to talk about with them, it's usually late afternoons or evenings. And you know, you're always working as a writer. That's what I always say. Yeah. You, uh, it's the only job where I can be sitting at my desk with my feet on the desk, staring out the window <laughs> and my yeah. wife says, what are you doing? And I can say writing. Yeah. And it's right. You know, I do carry on through the evening as well, sometimes. As someone who's been a full-time writer for 15 years, because throughout the podcast, I, I've speaking to people at various different stages of their career. And yeah. the thing I've noticed with people who have just made the transition from uh, full-time work to or part-time work to full-time writer is that they still dress for work. And it's just like, I get out and get washed and dressed and stuff like that. And I feel, you know, for the benefit of, we're both very relaxed today. We're both in, in sort of yeah. our, our loungewear, I, I would uh, oh, right. yeah, sort of generously yeah. call our t-shirt and joggers uh, and hoodie. Was there a time when you dressed more formally for your writing sessions that just got more relaxed as you went on? Or was it always just a thrill of when you first stopped the day job to go, I'm never having to wear a shirt and tie again? No, it was straight into jeans and t-shirt and <laughs> never pajamas, to be honest, I do. I'd like to get up, change and dress, comfortable clothing. I mean, I, I sort of transitioned from working full-time in my day job and then becoming a writer by, I had three and a half years part-time in my day job, yeah. which was the local authority. And then I did become one of the scrappier ones in the office over the last <laughs> year or two, because I, yeah. I go in black jeans and polo shirt instead of shirt yeah. and tie, which most people recommended. And I was <laughs> never, where's your tie, Levin? It was never yeah. like that. So I transitioned from... Yeah. smart clothing to scruffy i'm much more comfortable scruffy to be honest I, I think it's when you're spending long periods of time fairly static 
uh, yeah. you do want to be comfortable. And yeah. I think perceptions that have changed of writers from the start of the show to now and, and progressing is that often the cliche gift people think to get a writer is a nice pen and a nice notebook. And yeah. I find, you know, most writers don't like use pens and notebooks. And if they do, they don't want a nice one because it's all yeah. just scra scrappy ideas. And they go, oh, yeah. that pen's too nice to write my drivel. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah. just... I, I can't have a notebook where I can't tear the pages out. It's too lovely. And so I'm beginning to think that the perfect gift for uh, writers is loungewear. A yeah. really comfy hoodie or joggers. These are the gifts <laughs> yeah. that the writer needs. Yeah. Interesting. When I did start writing my novel Longhand, I yeah. was looking for the perfect notebook and I found, because well, I wanted to write with a fountain pen, even though my yeah. writing is terrible. So I bought, I did buy a nice fountain pen and I, yeah. Code and notebooks, I was recommended. I actually, yeah. they had to send them from America. I probably wouldn't visit Brexit. I'd probably pay a fortune in <laughs> But if they want to sponsor the show, I'm open to it. Yeah, fantastic. I bought two of them, filled them up, and then the rest of the novel did end up in scruffy little notebooks that I found. <laughs> uh, I've got a bit of a notebook problem, actually. I've got dozens of the things lying around, but what writer doesn't? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Another thing that I'm beginning to realize with uh, writers is that often, there can be a point during the first draft stage where often there's the feeling that you've forgotten how to write, that actually you're oh, a terrible yeah. writer. Why am I doing this? Yeah. After 15 right. years full time, do you recognize at what stage of the book? Is there like two thirds of the way through? Is it 80%? Is it earlier? Is there a certain stage that you hit and it's your imposter syndrome stage? Yeah, it's usually the middle of the book. Yeah. <laughs> Almost always guaranteed to hit the middle of the book and you go on in with the enthusiasm, great opening, mm. uh, you're heading towards what's going to be an exciting, to use the screenplay uh, structure, act two is always the, yeah. the tough one for me. The imposter syndrome rises and falls. I'm aware that I've, I'm making a living from writing, which is lovely. And yeah. I've written lots and lots of novels. Some people would say too many, <laughs> but there is, there's always the doubt that you can carry on. There's always the fear for me that it'll dry up. And I won't be able to continue. I'm fairly confident I will, because I was talking about my good friend, Rio Ewers. He's, a, yeah. he's such a fantastic writer. Rio focuses on a novel at a time and that's it. At mm. the moment, I'm starting a new novel. I've got an audio project, which I'm hoping is going to happen. Over the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot of screenwriting. So I've got a feature film, a feature script out there and right. uh, a pilot written solo and two collaborative pilots I've written. So. I've got lots of stuff flying around and I'm hoping some of it will land. Um, yeah. So for me, the imposter syndrome is sort of a couched fear. And I think most writers experience that fear. I, I know some writers who are very wealthy and they still say, oh, I'm fucking terrified it's all going to end. And I think that's a, sort of a healthy attitude in a way. It keeps yeah. you on your toes. If you get too blasé about what you write. First of all, you end up writing the same stuff again and again, which isn't healthy, I don't think. And then you might just not end up putting the same amount of effort into writing something. And that, that'll show through with your readers. So mm. I think it's important. For the same reason, I try to make every novel the best one I've ever written. Sometimes along the halfway through, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, no, this really isn't. But <laughs> something like The Last Storm, for instance, that, yeah. that, that, soon that I was writing longhand, all the way through, I was thinking, I'm not really not sure about this. Mm. I finished it and I was ready to type it up and... Oh, I'm really not sure about this. And uh, now I honestly do think it's one of the best novels I've written. Right. It's really propulsive and it's cinematic and yeah. And people who are reading it have loved it. So it also, that goes to show you, you just can't really tell. Yeah. I, I, I don't think many writers can be really objective about their work. And I guess sort of to counteract the imposter syndrome, it's just reminding yourself of that fact. And it's just giving yourself that little yeah. uh, coaching session just talking yourself up yeah. is there any other techniques that you have if you feel that you, you are maybe like spiraling a bit where you, you really get the fear that yeah. you can push yourself out of it or is it just more of a you know it's temporary and you just have to ride through that emotion yeah i, I just write through it to be honest whether i've got a contract for a novel or not i'm always mm. you know fairly hopeful the thing's going to sell yeah um it's the same way as if when you write yourself into a corner and you've got plot problems, you write through it and then fix it afterwards. If you've got the fear and you're worried that things aren't quite going to turn out as you hope, you just keep going. And the old adage, something always comes up. In my, the 15 years full-time, I've had some more ups than downs, yeah. sort of writing-wise and earning-wise. 
So I've been quite lucky to have some Hollywood stuff done and yeah. uh, film options. But also I write a lot. I write a lot more than some writers. A lot of writers publish a novel every year or 18 months. Yeah. I, the last couple of years has been a bit slower. I tend to publish a couple of novels a year, whether they be originals or tie-ins or collaborations uh, and work and other stuff as well. I'm a, a working writer, I call myself. Yeah. I'll, I'll take on projects because yeah. they're bread and butter sometimes, like novelizations and tie-in yeah. work, which I love doing. Yeah. But also if, if I had a hundred percent choice, I'd just write my own novels. I'd yeah. write one novel a year for six figures, yeah. but you know, not <laughs> that lucky. Yeah. And how do you find collaborations and are they something that you actively seek out or are they just things that are offered and you feel like, yeah, that's a person I really want to work with? I, I've never collaborated with somebody I didn't want to work with. That's yeah. for sure. And generally my main collaborator is Chris Golden in the States mm. who we've written eight novels together and a screenplay and short stories. And we've got the Vela coming out soon, which isn't announced yet, but it's going to be amazing. It's going to look beautiful. And we, we're really good friends. We know each other very well, well enough to say what you did didn't work, you know? And, uh, also uh, we know each other well enough to know the process of how we collaborate and feel and do it very smoothly. And I've collaborated with Steve Volk and I've written a couple of scripts together and Steven Sisko in the States, screenwriter over there, we've written a pilot together. Uh, I really, I do love collaborating because cool. it's, first of all, it's like, uh, it's a sagging board for your work. Yeah. That's one reason. Another reason is you end up writing something you, you never would have written on your own. Yeah. The perfect collaboration is when you create a third voice. So we've each got our own personal writing styles as a collaborative team. If your voice is different from two individuals. Hmm. You've created a third voice, you've created a third writer in effect. If that works, yeah. then it, it's worked. And our, our agent, my agent's Howard Moorheim in New York. At the time of our first collaboration, uh, me and Chris, he wasn't Chris's agent, he is now. But he read the book and he said, oh, so you wrote the first chapter, Tim? I said, no, it was Chris. So <laughs> it worked from the beginning. So I, I really, I love collaborating. It's, it's really, it's a exciting and refreshing. Yeah especially if it's with someone new. So I'm always, always open to collaborations. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And with the different formats, cause I think that a lot of people don't realize how different the disciplines of writing a short story, a novel, a, a novel, a screenplay mm. are that you know, there's different beats, there's different techniques to writing those. Is there with us, the difference between a novel and a novel, I guess, as a pantser, do, do you know that? going in, like, this is going to be a shorter story, or this might be a hundred thousand, or is it just sometimes you go to write a novella and then it's, oh, I'm still going and I've hit 50,000 words. This, this might not be a novella anymore. How do you know, like, what kind of story length you're going for? Yeah. I'm usually fairly good at judging that. I think I wrote a novella last year. I just decided I've got this really rough scene in my head. I'm just going to start writing and it'll probably be in the bella. Yeah. And it turned out about 25,000 words. Okay. Uh, it's not often I'll sit down to write a new novel and it comes in short, for instance, yeah. sometimes a bit long, but that, that's just an editing thing. I'm quite good at judging the length of length of things. If I'm invited into an anthology to write a short story and, and they've got five or 6,000 word limit, I might hit 7,000 words, but I'm not going to send them something that's yeah. 17 or 18,000. A story is as long as it needs to be, Yeah, I think. And I um, guess with the 15 years of full-time experience, it's more instinctive now. I guess the, the short story is a, is a, a, you know, a very different beast from the novel, obviously. So I, I'll know if an idea is a short story idea or a novel idea, but then sometimes a short story idea can turn into a novel idea. Like yeah. in my novel, The Last Storm, I actually wrote a story called Hell Came Down about 20 years ago, I think, which okay. the, the sort of core idea of that is the sort of basis of the novel. Hmm. You wrote the short story, but you felt that there's more of the story to, to be told. Yeah. Partly that and partly that the, the, the central idea could lend itself to a bigger, hmm. bigger scale story. Yeah. And with screenplay, cause you have a very cinematic style of writing. I would say that the, there's a very strong, uh, visual core to your prose, uh, which I yeah. really enjoy. And I think it's, it lends itself, which is why you have such great uh, novelizations of film and you know film yeah. tie-ins but writing screenplays is very different it's very sparse it's not as descriptive yeah. it's very dialogue heavy how do you approach 
the start of a, a, a screenplay when you're mapping that out because as you said before you tend to be more scenario based but mm. a screenplay tends to be very character driven and you have that that dialogue so how is your approach to screenplays a lot more a lot more planning when i write screenplays i'm a planner as okay. opposed to a planner most of the time i do know some screenwriters who'll start with a scene and where it see where it takes them but the ones i've written up to now certainly if you're collaborating with somebody there's a lot more planning i think 20% of writing a screenplay is actually sitting down writing the first draft. Okay. 80% of it is planning it and thinking wow. about it and, and making notes on character, for me anyway. Yeah. And plotting scene by scene before you actually write it. So actually, for me, sitting down and writing the first draft is, I can do it really quickly because yeah. I've, I know every scene. I know the, the beats. I do still feel I'm really learning about screenwriting. Okay. Um, I've written a few screenplays now, quite a few. Again, quite a few in collaboration, but a few on my own. I know I'm enjoying learning about it as well. I'm enjoying yeah. feedback. I've got a great manager in LA who he's really focused on story and he's mm. very sharp. Yeah. I've said to him a few times, why aren't you writing screenplays? Cause you're brilliant. <laughs> but he, he's, he's very good at taking what I send him and, and telling me what he likes and what he doesn't like. And then we brainstorm how to fix it. Mm. And I have learned through earlier screenplays I'm, I'm about to learn now, I think it's much more of a collaborative process as yeah. well. My manager's helped me enormously on the stuff I've written now and it's going out there. It's the, it's the big wide world. And yeah. if anyone likes any of it, there'll be more rewrites. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I often say, I don't think a story's never finished. You never quite finish writing a novel. I don't think yeah. even when it's published, you'll, it still turns around in your head sometimes and you think, oh, maybe I could have done something different. Screenplays very much the same, I think. And with your manager, it sounds very much it's the, the equivalent of an editor on a, a novel. He's, Michael's just, he's embedded out there. He knows, he, he's been working in Hollywood for years and years, so he knows lots of people out there. He knows what yeah. people are looking for. He knows the sort of stuff that might attract a big producer or a streamer or, you know, a film company. So he's doing his best to make sure what I've written is going to attract some attention. He's... Yeah putting his time in to help me. He's sold loads of stuff. He's very experienced. He's read, God knows how many screenplays he's read. So I, I do still, like I said, feel that I'm at the beginning of screenwriting career, mm. but also it's, and I love it because it's just, it is just another form of storytelling. I think as a writer, I, I've always just liked to think I'm a storyteller. I happen to write, I sort of known as a novelist, I guess, but I love writing novellas and short stories. Mm. I'm hoping to get into some audio drama soon. Yeah, just. It, spreading storytelling wings. I love telling the stories and whatever format I can get to do it in is, um, is good for me. Yeah. So with the audio dramas, is that something that you've just started writing that format? I haven't actually started writing anything yet. Okay. It's like a pitch. It's a pitch that I've got okay. out there, which I'm hoping is going to, uh, land soon. I can't really yeah. say much about it, unfortunately, okay. but it, it could be quite exciting. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. Cause it is, it's its own discipline. And I guess with podcast yeah. now like uh, audio dramas mm. really getting a resurgence so yeah, yeah they're massive they're massive and it, it'll be even it'll be different even from screenplays obviously mm. because you can't yeah. see anything <laughs> all <laughs> through audio it's a real it's a real challenge but yeah. it, i still like challenging myself sometimes as well it's another way of trying to, to try and stop writing becoming stale or another route and that's why i've always got several projects on the go yeah. different you know novels short stories screenplays and audio at the moment and have you, to get into the mindset, have you been listening to a lot of audio dramas? Yeah, quite a few. I love Sandman. I mean, Dirk's great, Dirk Maggs and the alien stuff he's done is just fantastic as well. The, the adaptation he did about the shadows, my novel was just amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was all Dirk. I wrote yeah. the novel, but Dirk did the adaptation and directed it and Rutger Hauer was in it. How cool is that? You know, that is very cool. So, yeah. It's amazing. I, I often get emails or tweets about that. And people saying, oh, I loved it. And I always say it was, this was Dirk, but it, I'm enjoying listening to them. And like we were chatting about before we started yeah. recording, I'm, I'm getting into listening to podcasts and things like that now as well. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm past half a century now, so I, I'm trying to keep up <laughs> current trends and, yeah. and keep aware of what's going on out there yeah. so that I can keep writing basically. Well, I think it, the technology certainly advanced, but it does feel yeah. like things have gone in cycles because Obviously, before you know, TV and cinema really took off. You know, the radio plays, famously Orson Welles' War of the Worlds adaptation. They have 
had a huge place in society. And I think it's now people are commuting and they've got the headphones in and, you know, it's just listening to something rather than holding a book or having their heads yeah. down. People want to see the world and, yeah, sort of looking around a lot more, being in their environment rather than, you know, sort of neck pain of constantly you know, looking down at yeah. their phone or yeah. their Kindle or their book or whatever. That it, it is interesting how it, it's developed and how, obviously, myself as a podcaster, it is a real way to touch people and the audience is just growing and growing so yeah it's a good market to get into and i really hope it takes off i'm sure if it does it'll be excellent well it's quite exciting i yeah. think if what i'm hoping happens then there'll be some excited fans oh great me, something else but oh, okay. yeah I much else but it, it's oh, quite TCC. Yeah. yes I, I would love to uh sort of like we can revisit in a few years have you back on the show yeah yeah, yeah. um one of the things, because you mentioned people tweeting about uh, your work and stuff like that, what's your opinion of social media as a writer? Do you feel that Twitter is a useful tool for writers? I've got a real love-hate relationship <laughs> with social media, I must say. So I, yeah, I get drawn in. I spend too much time on social media. I'm, I'm very aware of that and I try <laughs> not to, but I get drawn into stuff. Um, I think I'm getting better at it. I tend not to get into arguments on social media because <laughs> it's what's the point Yeah, people you're shouting into a hurricane. I mean, my publishers will always say you need a social media presence. And I've always had one. I, I Facebook and Twitter I use mm -hmm. and I'm being told I should be on Instagram. So I, I need to learn about how to use that. I think it is important because it's, it's certainly been much more important the last couple of years because it's such a easy way, easier way to keep yourself as part of the writing community and the reading community. And I made friends on social media and I've got, actually got friends that I've never met on social mm. media. You know, we regard ourselves as friends. It's a strange thing, really. <laughs> yeah, but it's, I, I do think it's too easy to get drawn into stuff that doesn't matter. The amount yeah. of times I've written a tweet, being angry at a party gate or whatever the hell yeah. it might be, and then realize what's the point? If I write this tweet and put it out there, it's not going to change anything. Yeah, It, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares that I'm angry yeah. at Boris Johnson or, or whatever <laughs> might be happening. So I just delete it and then yeah. go at my day without without any stress. <laughs> uh, so it's definitely a networking tool uh, rather than a promotion tool for you. I guess it's a bit of both really. I self-published some of my older books as eBooks through Kindle. And yeah, if I knew how to promote them, I'd probably sell more of them. I do tweet about them. If it is a promotional tool for getting the word out there about books, new books and new deals. It's also, I think it's more important that it's a word of mouth tool. Yeah. Um, so I can go and talk about my new novel ad nauseum and people soon get pissed off with me just seeing posts from me about my new book but the great thing about social media is the social part of it yeah. where people start talking about books they've loved and how great they are and then other people see that and it spreads the word i think it's more useful in that way but it, it is it's also useful and quite important having a sort of a, a public face as a writer yeah. having somewhere where people can communicate with you and i like i like that i like hearing what writers, what readers think of my work. But like I say, love-hate relationship. I'll always be on it. I've had breaks from social media for yeah. a few weeks at a time and it's felt nice, but I'm, I'm always drawn back in. I don't know many writers that don't use it, yeah. to be honest. Um, okay. Not many at all. You know, you can be Chris Evans and not have a phone and not be on social media, but then have 15 assistants around you. I haven't got <laughs> the luxury of having an yeah. assistant. Last two questions. Firstly, it's it's my belief that writers continue to grow and develop their writing with each story that they write. Obviously, your last novel was uh, written longhand, but was there anything else within the, the writing of that story that you feel you'll now apply to the book you're about to write? Was there something that you learned about yourself or about your writing style or you know, sort of technique that you think, this I need to do this next time? Um. That's an interesting question. I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. The fact that it's thematically, the new novel is, has got the climate change link, yeah. which I guess shows the importance of writing about stuff that interests you and worries you and scares you. The, the popular question for horror writers is what scares you. And I, I, yeah. I did have a dream last night about a flying spider, which scared the shit out of me, but generally stuff like that doesn't really scare me. What scares me is my family in peril and the world in peril, um, yeah. which it is with climate change, yeah. uh, on writing about what scares me. And that isn't always the case, I don't think, but I, I think with Eden, mm. um, 
uh, The Last Storm and the novel I'm about to start writing. I am talking about stuff that, that worries me and scares me and worries me for my kids. So I've always had the link between humanity and nature has always been a theme through my books. And I guess the last few years when, when climate change and global warming has, has been thrust to the fore more than ever before, it's become a strong, stronger theme. And I agree with you. I think I can't remember quite how you put it, improve, adapt, change. Yeah. So I, I always, always want to think, but if you ever ask a writer, what's your best book? The answer should always be the next one. Yeah. Because, um, I've got favorites out of what I've written, but yeah. I always want to think that my best book's ahead of me. And lastly, is there one piece of advice you've been told or read that consciously helps you with your writing? So one thing that you find yourself re returning to that helps you, uh, with the way that you write? I think I'd say write what you want to read because in doing that, you're telling a story that excites you as a reader, as well as a writer. And that you can also go back to the idea that, like I said earlier, that I speed up writing towards the end of a novel. because I want to know what happens. Yeah. I know roughly what happens, but not necessarily who's going to live and die and how the story's going to end. So yeah. but once I finish the novel and it's published, it's, I'll never pick up my own novel and read it again. Cause by then yeah. I've read it four times and I'm sick of it, which is another reason to write something. <laughs> that you enjoy reading because yeah. you're going to be reading it a lot. Yeah. You know, like, like you mentioned earlier, drafts, draft after draft. Yeah. I feel I do two or three large drafts of a novel, but there's loads, loads of tinkering that goes on yeah. in the meantime. So yeah, write what you want to read because you're excited about it. You might you'd be passionate about it and it's a story that you want to tell people. That's great. We'll end there, Tim. And just thank you very much for being my guest this week. It's Tom. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you very much. And that was the real writing process of Tim Leban. I'm very pleased to say Tim's latest book, The Last Storm, comes out this Tuesday, the 5th of July, 2022. Of course, if you're catching up with this in the future, it's already out, and you know it's a great book. It might be the book that brought you to listen to this interview. In that case, hello, hope you enjoyed it. For everyone else listening to this on the day it goes out, or uh, shortly after, get on buying this book. If you can, pre-order it and get it this week. The future audience knows how good this book is, but they can't tell you because we don't have the technology to communicate across time that way. However, trust me and trust Tim when we say it's the best thing he's ever written. And he's written some fucking good stuff. I'll leave Tim's website and social media links in the show notes. He has now joined Instagram, so do go and like his posts and see the man in all his beauty. As for me, this is the end of season two, the season that almost broke me. Honestly, a sincere thank you to all my listeners, but I was not expecting so many of you so soon. This podcast is a production team of one, and I have learnt the edges of my limits. So I'm pleased to say there will be a shorter season three, and it will go beyond. But now I need to take a summer holiday, read some books, and discover some amazing authors that spark my curiosity in how they write what they write. You can find me on Twitter most of the time at the Real Writing One. But until the autumn, look after yourselves and keep writing until the world ends. Time can never be your trusted friend or your sworn ally No, it's the harshest mistress of all And life is just a chain A moment spent A thousand hellos and goodbyes Maybe a love like ours can leave out its call. I will keep you near until the world is you are safe with me. I 
Just to 